Hey, thank you. Yeah, nice lights. Ah, yes. These are my, my Chinese New Year team slides, as you can see. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, chocolates and... Okay, anyway, um, before I start, let, uh, I'm going to get Joel to read uh, the passage for today first. So, he'll be reading from the NIV. So, let's uh, listen to God's Word. Uh, let's turn to Mark 10, chapter 17. reading from the NIV, the rich and the kingdom of God. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With men, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last verse. All right, thanks, Joe. Okay. <laughs> As some of you might know, I went to ACS for secondary school. And back then, I don't know about now, ACS was very big on sports. Okay? To be honest, we were, we were pretty much killing it at sports for the four years I was there. Uh, at the risk of sounding a bit cocky, we were winning gold medals left, right, centre. And, and one of the sports that we were very big on was swimming. Now, I'm not a swimmer. In fact, I couldn't swim for most of my uh, secondary school uh, life. Like, uh, actually, I find it very strange that I were, my, my, my two fellow Indians here and NDU are. Because all, all my life, I've, I was used to the stereotype that Indians cannot swim. So, so... Obviously, they are, they are breaking that stereotype. I'm very, I'm very happy for the new generation of Indians in Singapore. But, but yeah, for most, for most of my, my secondary school life, uh, I, I, could, I, I, I couldn't swim. But, but there were swimmers. And, and swimmers were, you know, they, they, they were one of the sports that AC was very big on. And, and what, they would really have a really rigorous training schedule. 
they would come to school early in the morning before school starts, and they'll go to the swimming pool, there's a swimming pool, and they'll go there and swim every day. And that is in addition to whatever trainings that they might have in the afternoons, whether it's with the school or, or with the club or the national team or whatever, whatever it is. And, and you know, I've got to give credit where credit is due because a lot of times we, we look at the swimmers and we, we didn't really, sometimes we, we had issues with them because they can be a bit cocky and all that. But as far as sports training went, this was really one of the most rigorous training schedules that I, I've seen uh, during like school sports, okay? Uh, what, what the swimmers had to go through. And, and one day, a few years after I left school, I was having a conversation with some of my friends. And this topic came up about, you know, training schedules and things like that. And I asked one of my friends who's a swimmer, how do you guys deal with it? And, and what, he, what he told me is this. He said, look, early on, it occurred to me that there were really three big things that took up time in my life. My studies, my swimming, and my social life. And I realized that if I really wanted to be serious about swimming, out of these three things, I had to give up one. And so I gave up my social life. I know, I know, you thought I was going to say studies, right? Uh, they, they, those type of swimmers also, like, they're, they're quite fun, but uh, that, that's another story. Um, but, but no, he said he'll give up his social life. And, and this is something that we see throughout our lives, right? That we, when we won't really want something, we usually have to give up something for it. It's what we call a trade-off. Okay? A trade-off is when we give up something for the sake of something else because we can't have both of it. And usually what we give up for something else shows how much that thing means to us. You know? For my friend, he knew that he wanted to be serious. We knew he was serious about excelling in the sport. He, we knew he wanted to get into the national team. We knew he wanted to go and, and, and you know, win the gold medals. And so he decided to give up his social life. He decided to give up time spent with friends, time having fun for the sake of his swimming. And in some ways, in some ways, the idea of trade-offs is going to be at the center of this passage that we are looking at today. Because in some ways, um, that, uh, the rules, so to speak, of how the kingdom of heaven works is somewhat similar to how it works in this world as well. And we're going to just look at how, exactly how that is the case. Okay, so why don't, let's go into the passage right now and then let's start looking at it. So the passage starts with this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And I just want to pause here briefly to look at Jesus' response here. Now, this is not what I want to focus on, so I'm only going to try and touch on it as fast as I can, but I think it is, it is something worth looking at because, you know, this, this line when Jesus says, oh, no one is good but God alone, God alone, it seems a bit, if you look at the whole passage, a bit out of place. You know, the, the man is asking him a question here, and before he goes on to actually give an answer to the question, he suddenly sort of like nitpicks on the word good he used. And what does this mean? Does it mean that we can't call anything good? That we shouldn't be doing that? No, that's not what it means. Because, you know, it, Jesus himself, uh, uh, elsewhere, he uses, thing, he describes things as good. He says in the parable of the talents, you good and faithful servant for the, the servant who, who fulfilled what he was supposed to do. And because I don't really want to spend too much time on this, I'm just going to suggest to you 
that Jesus had uh, intent behind this was to allude to two things. He was wanted to bring into mind two things. And I'll just suggest that to you and, and leave that at the back of your head as we go through the rest of the passage. So the first thing that Jesus was trying to bring to mind is the idea that we are all sinners. Okay? Now, definitely there's nothing wrong with calling someone a good man or a good student. But we need to understand that when we use the word good, if I was to say, Joel, good, you're a good man, we are using it in a very human, from a very human perspective. I'm comparing Joel to an evil man, and I'm saying, you're good. Compared to that, you're good. But, you know, when we compare ourselves to God, we realize that no one really meets God's standards. So you can see the difference in the usage here. It's as if you're saying you're good, but when you say good, what do you really mean? Do you mean you are better than 90% out there? Or do you mean that you are perfect? You are, you are the ultimate. You have met the ultimate standard. And there is no fault, no blame with you. And that is sort of the idea that Jesus is trying to get this man to think about, or get the listeners, get us to think about when he says, no one is good but God alone. Yes, you can be good, but are you really good? You know? You get that? Okay. Second thing. The second thing that Jesus is alluding to is that he is God. Okay? And, and this is somewhat more for our benefit than, than for those who are present then. Because, you know, for many of them, they were really by now, you, if, you're, if you're looking at the Gospels, you're not quite getting it. They're not really sure what he was saying. And they probably, by him being indirect like this, he, they wouldn't have got it as well. But when we look back and we see that... Um, That, that when, the, when, the, when the disciples, they look back and they remember this incident, they added it into the Gospels, they remembered, hey, wait, he said this. And you know what he was saying? It was, it was as if Jesus was being a bit cheeky. It's almost you can imagine him like turning around and, and winking to the disciples, or, or maybe even the disciples that didn't get it. If, if it was a TV show, he'll be like winking into the camera and he's saying, hey, you know, oh, you call me good. Only God is good. But guess what? I'm God, so I'm good. You're correct. You, you get what I mean? That, that, that's sort of the, what we call irony that he's, he's trying to reference to bring out his divinity. Okay? And so, so I'm just going to leave that with you, that Jesus' intent here is, to, is, is, is two, twofold. One is to bring to mind that all men are sinners, to cause us to think about it and realize that no one is truly good, and the other is to cause us to realize that, hey, Jesus is actually referencing that he is God. Now, keep this at the back of your mind. We'll move on with the passage, and maybe, maybe we will, we will, we'll briefly mention this uh, later. So let's move on. And, and what, what, what is Jesus's actual response to this rich young man when he asks, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" And this is his response. He says, "You know the commandments: You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother." Teacher, the man declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. You see, now we're really getting a picture of how or what's the nature of this man or who this man is. Jesus says, you know the commandments. This man was not ignorant. You know, he, he didn't come not knowing the commandments, not knowing what the law said. In the Jewish culture, then as it is now, there is a great emphasis on studying the law, 
and, and knowing what it says, studying the Mosaic law and knowing what it says. But this man is not just an average Jew. You know, it says that he was rich. And in some, some of the, in the parallel passage in Luke, so this, this is, in, we're looking at Mark here, but, but this, this story is also in Matthew and it's also in Luke. And in Luke, the, the story Luke uh, records that this man was referred to as a young ruler. The word for ruler is archon. And it is used to describe someone who is a bit of a, he's like a community leader or an administrator. So this guy was probably quite educated. So, you know, all the Jews had to go through training in the law, but this guy, he, he probably went quite far with this. So he knew the commandments. And, and he probably, being a leader, being rich, being young, in Matthew it says he's young, he, he probably was quite an achiever. This, this guy was basically a winner. Everything he did, he, 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 he got ahead. He was, he was doing everything very well. And, and, and whatever he did, he put his mind to, he would get it. He would be disciplined, he would be committed, and he would get his just reward. And so he comes to Jesus with the same sort of mindset, and he asks him, what must I do to get eternal life? He wants to earn it. He wants to get it by the same way he got everything he got in his life. And, and you know, I imagine like when, when Jesus first started by saying, hey, you know, you've got to keep the commandments. I imagine him, the, the young man, at least internally being a bit smart and saying, hey, I did that all already. Come on, Jesus, you know me, right? I'm like the best of the best. I'm like the top 1%. I, 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 all these things are no sweat to me. And so he thought maybe he, he had this in the back. You know, he, he, he thought that he, he was going to, uh, Jesus going to say, good job, you have got eternal life. Or maybe Jesus will say, okay, I need you to do a few more things, and he will do it. If anyone could do it, it was him. He could do it, and he could clinch this thing. But this is what Jesus replies him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now this is the crux. This is the climax of the, of the passage here. And we're going to look at this in, in detail. There, there are many questions that I think come to mind when we hear this. You know, I'm not sure what, what are those that come to your mind. But I think they all revolve, or they all start with one, which is, why does Jesus... Ask the man to sell all that he has. And I think this, this question can be answered. And there are a few layers to it, but I think the short answer to it is Jesus wants to be foremost in our lives. God wants to be the thing that we desire and value above all else. When God created man, He created man with a space in Him or with a need that, that can only be fulfilled by God Himself. You know, it can only be fulfilled by seeking Him. The Bible says, you know, my pe people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. They have dug their own wells, broken wells that cannot hold water. They, what was meant to be fulfilled in us by God, we have replaced it with the things of this world. We have replaced it with our 
own, own things that we are chasing after. And in the case of this rich young man, what he had replaced God with was his wealth. That was his number one priority. How do we know that? Because when Jesus told him, give it up, he walked away sad. As much as he wanted to have that relationship, as much as he wanted the kingdom of heaven, as much as he wanted eternal life, he could not give up his wealth. And we know he had placed it at the forefront of his life. And that is why Jesus says elsewhere, you know, a man cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will de be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This man had replaced it with wealth, and, and Jesus wants to be, he said, if you want to follow me, I need to be at the forefront, the foremost thing in your life. And you know, for some of us, wealth is something that we struggle with. Riches, the desire to be rich, the desire to achieve career success, these are things we struggle with. And we cling on to. And, and, and there are things that, that, that hinder us in experiencing a deeper relationship with God. But for others, it could be other things. You know, I recently um, played a card game. I don't know, has anyone played this game? Sorry. Yeah, you have. It's called uh, Singaporean Dream. I think it's by the SGAG people. And it's a really funny um, card game. And the basic idea of the game is that, you know, each player starts off, they're given a random character, which is like a stereotype of a, Singap a sort of Singaporean facet. So like, for example, there's the NSF, there's the Abing, there's the PSLE top scorer. And the objective of the game is to collect as many points by acquiring throughout the game dreams. So you have some dreams over there. These are some of the dreams. Like, for example, unlimited annual leave. This is probably the one I really want. And, and uh, you know, university scholarship, branded bag, things like that. And some, some dreams are worth more points to specific characters. You can see that. So the, the unlimited annual leave is like more for the high flyer. And like for the NSF, you know, there, there's a one like open table at Zook or something like that. And, and, and those are the dreams that, 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 that are in this game. And, you know, as I was playing this game, I only played it like one time with, with my CG, my young adult CG. And as I was playing this, I knew one day I'm going to use it in a sermon. Because <laughs> this, this is just, it's just so perfect, right? Like, I actually think, and you can, if, if you have this card game, I might even say you go and try it. I'm not even joking. You can go into quiet time with God and take this deck of cards and just flip through them and ask God to reveal in your heart what is it that you are not willing to give up for the sake of God. It is all there. It is all there. It is everything that in our Singaporean life, you know, that we, we tend to put ahead of, of something that is perfect, of God. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with some of these things in a way. Like a university scholarship, there's nothing wrong with it. But as, as a pastor said, it's Pastor Tim Keller, he said, you know, when we take something that is good, like a university scholarship, and we make it, make it the ultimate thing, that is idolatry. That is making it an idol. That is making it a god. And the first commandment is, 
you shall have no gods before me, no other gods before me. And so right now, you know, for the rich young man, his idol was, was wealth. I mean, I invite you to take a look at your own lives and whether there are things that, that are idols in our own lives, you know? It could be, it could be things like relationships. Um, some of us, you know, we can't stand the idea of being despised or excluded. We, we want to be well-liked and accepted everywhere we go. And yet the Bible says that the, that rejection might come our way. And how do we deal with that? For, for others, you might not really want wealth or that type of career success, but you have your own dreams and ambitions. You know? And especially in this day and age when, when the world is saying, hey, you, know, you can be whatever you want to be, and you want to be like, I, I want to be this and that. And that is something that you find it hard if God was to ask you to give it up, would you do so? And for others, maybe you're a pretty chill person and you don't need wealth, you don't need recognition, but what you really want to do is to have unlimited annual leave and stay at home the whole day and play Apex Legends or Fortnite or whatever other computer game you want to play. And, and that might be your idol. And, and you know, so... These things, these, they, they, in each of our lives, there are things to different degrees that we struggle with. And uh, recently, a friend shared with me about how, you know, he has been pestering his boss for support over a particular project for more than, like, a year. Um, and his boss would say, yes, I support you. But that support would never materialize in action. And soon along the way, my friend sort of realized that his question was, was wrong. So he stopped asking my boss, hey, is this project important? And he started asking him, is this project more important than the other project X? Is this project more important than the other project Y? And then the answer would change. The answer would be, well, not quite. And, and that's when my friend realized that he would never get what he needs for his project, and so he decided not to waste too much time on it. But we are a lot of times like my friend's boss. You know, we, we tell Jesus, hey, I love you. Hey, I, you are my true desire. Hey, and sometimes, you know, we even sing, we go, we say, yeah, you're the most important thing. You are the treasure which, which what, what treasure I give my whole life for. Is that how it is? I need no God treasure, and I know God whole life. So, so, so we, we say that. But you know when we actually sort of make it concrete and when we say would, 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 you are more important than X or you are more important than Y, suddenly that question takes a whole new di dimension. And I believe today one, one thing that God is asking us is do you truly love me more than any of these other things? Any of these other things? Because that is what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I know this is not an easy question to answer if you really look at it. You know, if you look at it superficially, fine, yeah. But if you really look at it, it is not an easy question to answer. And I was thinking of sharing my, my own experience and struggles of giving up certain things for the sake of Jesus, for the, for the sake of my faith. But as I was praying, I was impressed upon uh, to share the example of uh, two friends of mine, uh, Winston and Sherman, who were recently impacted by God and asked to make some big decisions. Um, 
these are not some mega superstar Christians. These, they, they attend our church. They, they, are, they are one of us. Uh, they attend first service. And, and, I, and we went on a trip to Israel together. And during that trip, I was very fortunate during one breakfast that they shared with me some of the things that God was doing and, and that have developed since then. So let, let me invite them to share about how Jesus has recently been encountering them. Hi, hi, Logan. Uh, thanks very much for this opportunity to share. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Being here makes me almost feel a bit young again, almost. But I should say we're actually not that old. La. We're 35 years old, right? So we're not, we're not that. Fine, fine. We're old. Fam. We're old. So, so let me share a bit about ourselves. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm Winston. This is my wife, Shermin. Uh, we've been here in PPH for about four years. Um, we are both trained as medical doctors, uh, and we specialize in public health, right? Um, and we've been, I've been working in the Ministry of Health uh, for about uh, coming to 10 years now, right, uh, doing administrative health policy work. My wife, Shermin, has worked in other uh, Ministry of Health as well as other hospitals and healthcare institutions in Singapore. Right, so, um, yeah, uh, good to be here. You know, I remember when I was your age, right, in, in around your age, uh, in, in secondary school, in JC, uh, I wasn't in this church then, but, but I, you know, I was really, really passionate and on fire for God. You know, I was a cell group leader, right, I played in the worship um, ministry as well, I played the guitar. Right. Um, and when I first met Sherman in medical school in NUS, um, we both had a, a real heart for overseas mission work, right? to serve God overseas in, in, in poor places. Right. And um, in fact, I, when I was in university, I spent one month in, in the Philippines with uh, Deacon singing, for those who know him. Uh, this was when Joseph was like, you know, this, this tall, right? hard to believe, but yes, he was that, that tall once. Right. Uh, and, and in year four, um, the two of us, we actually spent six weeks uh, in Nepal, in a, in a small mission hospital. Right, uh, we had one full time, and actually after that, we really hoped to, to go back one day. But over the next 10 years, right, um, you know, uh, as we graduated and started working, you know, we found ourselves um, busy, work, busy working very hard, uh, advancing our careers, right? Um, and we thank God, actually, He blessed us uh, very richly, right? You know, so in many, many ways. You know, so, so uh, Yudanhan talked about scholarships. I was actually a president scholar for, for my medicine studies. Both of us finished our postgraduate master's in, in public health. Right, uh, we have very comfortable jobs. Right, so currently I'm a director in the in Ministry of Health. Um, Shermin is an associate consultant in uh, this uh, Woodlands Hospital, which is a new hospital. Right, la until last year we actually stayed in a very nice, com large, comfortable apartment that's just two bus stops away from here, PPH. Right, so I guess you could say, you know, in the eyes of the world, we are we could we could be counted as successful. Right, uh, you know, by, by God's grace, and I think you know if you take John Han's example, we are in many ways the rich young rulers of this world, uh, the rich young uh, case administrators. Right. And, and last year, I was actually awarded a scholarship by MOH right, to pursue another degree. Right. Uh, for some reason, I love studying, uh, which is kind of freaky. But, um, yeah, so I was given a scholarship to, to study and uh, do another degree, uh, a Master's of Business Administration, MBA. Right. So for those of you who don't know, MBA is a very prestigious degree. Right. A lot of people uh, take it because once you get it, you kind of are promoted very fast. Or you get hired by big companies and you get very successful and lot, lots and lots of money. Right. Of course, that's not, that wasn't my goal, but, but um, you know, it's something I wanted to do for a long time. Right, and just last year, in fact, MOH had relaxed the rule so that I could, we could do it. And, all, and Sherman was also planning to do a, a master's in um, healthcare management in London. Right, so we felt that it would actually prepare us for future work, possibly in overseas, in, in other countries, in developing countries. Um, so um, that was last year. And in November, uh, as Janai mentioned, we went on this uh, spiritual journey to Israel with PPH. Right? Um, so actually, one week before we flew off, I actually received my acceptance letter uh, for University of Oxford in UK right, um, for the MBA program. 
Yeah, so of course we were very happy and you know we were all set. We thought ready, you know, we're gonna go and uh, and, and spend one year there. But all that was going to change. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna hand over to Shermin to tell you how how it all began. Okay, so uh, this was this was the third third day of our trip in Israel. So it was about a ten uh, ten day trip, right? So on the uh, on the on the third day, we uh, went to this church. We visited this church on Mount Carmel, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a high place in Israel, and this church was actually started by a couple called Karen and David Davis. Uh, they were both very successful uh, people in. Uh, in New York, so uh, Karen, she was uh, she worked in the fashion industry, and uh, David was uh, director uh, as well as the actor in Broadway. So uh, they felt God's calling, and they left their very successful careers, and they went to Israel from New York, and they started ministering to drug addicts, right? And God then led David to uh, start this uh, congregation in Mount Carmel, so they have a church there. And uh, Karen uh, was the music director of, of the congregation. Uh, so we were there last year, and the year before, David, David had actually passed away. So it was Karen whom we met. And um, so she, she shared her story briefly with the group about how you know, they left you know, their, their, their careers and they started working with uh, drug addicts. And um, you could really feel her passion. She was just full of fire, energy, and you could just feel God's presence in the place. And actually, we thought, I, thought, I thought that she was maybe about 40 years old, but actually, I found out she was 65 years old. But she was just full of energy. She, was leading, she, she led a time of worship. And uh, very, very clearly during the worship, I was very, very moved. And I felt God asking me, right, very clearly, are you willing to be a Karen? Right? Even if it meant giving up everything um, to uh, go to a difficult place to serve me. Right? So I was... I was just very struck, and um, after after the the very short worship, uh, I was so moved that I, I went outside, sat in the garden, and like left everybody else from the group, the group, because I I just had to think about it, because it just kind of came out of nowhere, but I knew that God was asking me this question, right? So that night, uh, both of us we discussed um, what it actually would mean if we were to give up whatever we had to serve God. Right, because um, with that scholarship that uh, Winston was offered, uh, it would mean that five years of our life would kind of be quite uh, mapped out for us. Because after studying, we would then have to serve a bond. Right? But that, that would mean that we would have a security of a job, right? um, more prestige, right? and so many more um, things in the eyes of the world that we could look forward to. Right? But then we then felt very challenged. You know, um, if, if God wanted us to leave all that behind, were we willing? So as uh, Winston also mentioned, um, when we wanted to do this uh, further our studies, we thought that that would make us more ready to be able to serve God in future. Right, but then as we started to think, we realised that when would we ever, I mean, we started questioning, when would we ever be ready? You know, actually, whatever we learn may not even be applicable in another, in another setting. Right, and, and then we felt that, okay, um, we will never be ready, we will never be ready enough. Right, and we, what we need is to trust God. Okay, so Winston can continue the second part. So, so I remember that night, just before I went to sleep, I went to sleep with this thought in my head that actually, you know, our lives at the moment, at that time, point of time, were actually very, very comfortable, very secure, very blessed. Right, um, but was that what we really wanted? 
And so next morning, I woke up early and I was jogging along the Sea of Galilee, right? You know, Sea of Galilee in Israel, where, you know, a lot of the miracles that Jesus did was. So I was jogging along the shore. And then I stopped, I paused for a while, and I actually asked God, um, God, can you give us a sign? Uh, given what we have talked about, what do you want us to do next? Can you give us a sign? So later that morning, we went to, uh, so every group to Israel, the tour group to Israel, will go on a Sea of Galilee cruise, right? So there'll be a boat, they'll bring you out into the Sea of Galilee, and then you, you see that it's a very beautiful place. Um, so we went on a boat and we sailed out. And, and this boat is special because it is led by a, a Christian Jew. So it's a Jew who believes in Jesus Christ, right? Um, and he, he leads the, the, the people on the, the time of worship on the cruise. Oh, uh, I didn't, yeah, okay, the pictures. Yeah, so that, that's me. Um, so, so we went out on the boat. And, and actually, the moment I stepped onto the boat, right, I felt um, very moved, deeply moved in the spirit. And I, I just couldn't say anything to anyone. Right? I was just very moved, very pensive, very quiet. And that's me. So... I was being very antisocial, right? I mean, uh, everyone else was like taking pictures at the front, singing songs, uh, you know, cheering and everything. But I was just like being antisocial and, and very emo, right? Maybe you call it, right? Emo. Actually, our friend was trying to take a panoramic shot, but then he ended up in the picture. Yeah, <laughs> That's so how he got the picture. I photobombed him, yeah. <laughs> so, so and, and I kept looking at the water and I kept thinking, you know, um, you know the story of Peter walking on water to Jesus, right? What is it like? What would it be like to walk on water, right? I, I didn't step out of the boat like, at that point, but, you know, if you, in case you're wondering, but, but I just kept thinking of that. And then, the, and then the, the, they started the worship, right? And the worship, the one of the songs he sang was the song Still. You probably know this song by his song, Still. Right? And these words really struck a chord. It says, um, Find rest my soul in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. Right? And that song, when I was singing that song, I was just weeping. You know, I, was, I was a wreck, I was weeping. And thank goodness I had sunglasses, right? So people cannot see, right? So not so unglam. Right? Um, but I was just weeping. And, and then after that, Pastor Chi Ming uh, shared the devotion. And he said, he talked about Peter walking on water, right? And he said, you know, we often criticize Peter for lack of faith and all that, but actually, he's probably the only person recorded who ever walked on water, right? And he said, are you, do you want to just have a very comfortable and secure life? Or are you willing to step out of the boat, right, to follow me? Right? And that, again, that was what we had been thinking about, and that really struck a, a, a deep chord in me. So after we went back to shore, we got off the boat, and then we went to this place called uh, Magdala, right? So if you know the Bible where Mary the Magdalene will come from, right? Um, and there's this very beautiful chapel in Magdala, right, which is, um, uh, you know, built by the Catholic Church. It's a very beautiful chapel. Um, and again, when we went to this chapel, I just felt, again, very moved, right? And I knew God's presence was there. And in the chapel, there are these little, small, mini chapels at the side, right? Uh, you can go to, yeah. And one of them had this beautiful mosaic. So this is, a, this is a, just a picture, but imagine this is a mosaic, right, made of little tiles. And it shows the scene where Peter is walking on water, and then he's half sinking, right? And then this is Matthew 14, 28. Right, and then uh, Jesus grabs him, holds him uh, as he's sinking. Right, um, and I just felt uh, this, this you know, very moved by this place. Um, so, so later on, at the end of the, the visit, right, we had some spare time, and I went back to this chapel, right, and I felt knelt, uh, felt moved uh, to put my hand on, you know, the, that where Peter's hand is, right, and after that, just kneel down and pray before uh, before God, and asking Him, you know, what does it mean to walk on water? How how do I do that? Um, so I prayed and then kneeled for a while and then I got up and I went out uh, and then I came back to the chapel one more time at the end right? because I, I really liked the place and then beside me at the front of the chapel there was this lady on my trip His, her name is Shirley uh, she's not from our church but she's a relative of um, one of our church members uh, and at this point I actually didn't know who she was right? because this was quite early I didn't know who she was I didn't know her name I had not spoken to her before and then she suddenly turned to me and she said uh, so excuse me I'm sorry um, but God asked me to give you a passage Right, um, and the passage was Matthew 14, 28 to 29, which I'll read for you. Right. Um, so this is the scene where Jesus is walking on water to the boat in the middle of the storm. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Right, so she said, um, yeah, God asked me to give you this passage, so I have to do it. Uh, God has a purpose for you. Right? And then she just walked away. So I, I was stunned. Uh, mine was cool. And this has never happened to me before, okay, in case you're wondering. Right? This has never happened to me before. Right? Um, uh, and then she came back, right, as, like, like for good measure. Right? Just, uh, she came back and said, oh, one more thing. If you look at the passage, you realise that um, when Jesus asked Peter to step out of the boat, Peter didn't hesitate. He just went. Right? So don't hesitate. God has a purpose for you. And then she walked away again. Right? So I was like, okay, wow. You know, uh, my mind was totally blown. And so immediately, you know, as you're walking out of the chapel, I, I, I turned to my wife and I told her about this. And, and the immediate thought that came to my mind was, I think God is asking us to basically give up all our plans that we had made so far. You know, plans for studies and everything. And just prepare um, to go into the mission field, right, to serve Him. And this is something that's been on our hearts for a long time. You know, but to be very honest, at that point, and we talked about it more, we felt actually very petrified, is the word, right, frightened. Because for the first time, we realised this is it, you know, this is it, right? There's no more safety blanket, there's no more, you know, career, there's no more studies, there's, no, there's nothing, this is it. And we felt actually very um, frightened. But at the same time, we knew that, um, you know, if God calls us, He will also equip us, right? Um, so, okay, then... So, so the next day, I woke up in the morning with this song in my head. So it's a very, very old song that I heard as a child. Uh, and it's actually even in old English, but I'll just make it into normal English for everybody. So the title is, Are You Able? Um, one, so I couldn't really, re I can't remember the song, but I couldn't recall the words, so I went to check out the lyrics. And um, one of the stanzas in the song was, Are you able to relinquish purple dreams of power and fame? To walk into the garden or to die a death of shame? So actually, the, just before that, we had gone to this Nazareth village, which they kind of reenacted what uh, village life would look like in Jesus' time. So we saw someone who was uh, weaving cloth by hand, and they were telling us about the, diff the value of the different kinds of dyes. Right? So you can see in the basket, there are a few different kinds of uh, a dye, dyed yarn, right? And uh, we were told that purple was the most expensive dye because they had to extract the pigment from many, many sea snails. Yeah, so purple is very expensive. It's usually worn by kings or royalty, right? So it suddenly hit me, right, what that stanza meant when it said, are you, are you willing to relinquish purple dreams of power and fame, right? Because that was what was, was the thing that I held on most dearly to, right? Are, am I willing to give all that up, right? And um, so that really, um, really challenged me. And um, the last stanza was, um, are you able, still the master, whispers down eternity, and heroic spirits answer, yes, now as then in Galilee. So it just brought back to mind what happened the day before, you know, about stepping out of the boat, walking on the water, and yeah, I just felt once again God was just uh, challenging me, and so, you know, the rest of the trip was a time where um, I was just const we were just constantly praying and asked God, to give us the strength to do what he wants us to do. So there's one more episode on the trip, right? So um, at the end of the trip, we were actually on the way back to Singapore, right? Um, so because we had come by Italy, we were in Italy before Israel, so we were on the way back, we were in Italy. Uh, and we were, so that morning, we were waiting to, for the bus to the airport, right, to fly back to Singapore. Um, and I've been thinking for, you know, for, 
at that time that, you know, remember what, what God, was, God said to me, right? Do not hesitate, right? So, remember I told you I was accepted into Oxford University, right? And I still had acceptance letter, and uh, the offer was still open, right? And it would have lapsed maybe like a few days later. But I felt God saying, you know, if I've spoken to you so clearly and do not hesitate, right? Um, I should just reject the offer and be done with it, right? And, and move on with the next step. Um, so that morning, you know, waiting for the bus, I, I now my handphone, I pull out the, the website, and then there's the, you know, there's the two buttons, right? Accept, reject, and then submit, right? Uh, so I click reject, right? Uh, and then I just want to press submit. But to be honest, at that point, I could not press the button, right? I was like, I just couldn't press the button submit, right? Uh, it was so difficult, and uh, more difficult than I thought it would be, right? Um, and it's as though it's like, you know, all of a sudden, five years of your life that you plan out so nicely and you look forward to, suddenly it just, it just changed, right? Altogether. Uh, so I couldn't press the button, then the bus came. Right? So, so we went on the bus, then I told my wife, wow, this is very difficult. Uh, then so, uh, so I hadn't done my devotion for that morning because it was like a 5 a.m. flight or something. Yeah, So it was still very groggy. So I hadn't done my devotion. So I, I took out my book that I do for, for the morning. And then I was like, God, I think we really need some help here. <laughs> so I opened my devotion. And the verse for that morning was Genesis 12 verse 1. When God tells Abraham to leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. Yeah. So it just felt like God was telling us once again, you know, to make that choice. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So after that, I was like, okay, God, you win. Right? And then I basically I pressed the reject button. And I clicked submit. Right. Um. So after that, we you know reached the airport, and I remember you know at the point we were feeling still very afraid, but there was a sense of peace in our hearts that I think we had done the right thing. Um, yeah, so we came at Singapore, and I, I, can, I can tell you, uh, since that, when we came come back until now, it's been only about three months, but I think God has been just working in such marvelous and amazing ways, right? And, and um, you know, just leading us one way, one thing or another, and just speaking us so clearly. And if, I mean, if we, if, we, if we tell you everything that happened so far, you'll be here until, like, tonight, supper, so I, I'm not going to do that. But, but um, so I remember I shared that, you know, we had been in Nepal before, and this was the place that was on our hearts. So God led us back there. Um, earlier this, in this, uh, last month, we, we made a trip there, right? Um, and we met with a, um, a Christian organization in Nepal, right, who runs a hospital called the Green Pastures Hospital, right, um, Green Pastures Hospital, like Psalm 23, right, and when we arrived at uh, the hospital that morning, um, go to the next slide, uh, I opened my devotional for the morning, right, and, and this, is, uh, this is what I read, right, um, so I'll read it for you. Uh, it will not be in our best interest to always remain in one happy and comfortable location, right, Therefore, he moves us forward. The shepherd leaves the fold so that the sheep will move on to the vitalizing mountain slopes. In the same way, laborers must be driven out into the harvest, or else the golden grail would spoil. But take heart, it could never be better to stay once he determines otherwise. If the loving hand of our Lord moves us forward, it must be best. Forward in his name to green pastures, quiet waters, and mountain heights. I remember, we were in this place called Green Pastures Hospital. Right? If you show the next slide, um, this is where we were, right? This is, this is the, the hospital. There's a farm on the hospital. This is the farm. You can see the Himalaya mountains in the background, right? Um, green pastures, quiet waters, and mountain heights. And, you know, that, that, that day was just amazing because we met with the people in the hospital and the organization, and the work that they had wanted us to hope that we could do was almost like a 100% match with all our different skill sets and abilities that God had given us so far, right? And, and one more thing is it was really... Um, blew our minds that um, the doctor we met, we met this doctor who was in charge of all this work, right? And she shared with us that actually for the past one year or so, right, she had been planning all these wonderful things, but but things just didn't move, right? It's like stuck. You know, sometimes you feel very stuck, right? But things, 
like there's no money, the, the leadership wasn't supportive, uh, they had no expertise. And then three, a few months ago when she came back from overseas, right, all of a sudden it's like God opened the floodgates. Everything started happening. Right? So money came in from overseas. Uh, you know, the leadership gave the go-ahead. Right? There's someone helping to come and do up building plans and all that. And we, and we thought back and realized that that, that that time that was happening was the first week of November. And that was exactly when we were in Israel. That was exactly when God was speaking to us and giving us our call. And remember, we actually looked back, you know, we even looked back to the day that we were on the Sea of Galilee and she took out her calendar and she looked and she realized, oh, that day she had a very important leadership meeting that basically opened the doors for this work to happen. You know, so God's timing is just so amazing and so perfect that when He calls, He calls for purpose and He equips. And one more thing is, He also loves us, uh, He gives His grace. Um, so it's not as though, you know, we're not superhuman, right? We have our struggles with our doubts, our fears, but God has also, along the way, just given us that grace and that assurance and we want to share with you. Yeah, so one morning we were there and uh, <coughs> I was feeling a bit down uh, because um, uh, we were in a place that wasn't very comfortable. So I actually woke up the night before shivering because uh, it was winter and then there was no running hot water, there was no heater. So I was being a bit miserable. <laughs> so uh, we wandered into this cafe called uh, 12 Baskets. And... Um, Later on, we found out that it was uh, run by Korean Christians. So the 12 baskets, I think, would likely refer to uh, Jesus' miracle when he fed the 5,000. Right? So we sat down and waited for our food to come. And then all of a sudden, the sound system came on. Right? There were two songs that played on the system, and it was really loud. Right? The first song was still. And if you remember, Winston was mentioning the song. Right? That was the song that we sang on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, right, where we felt very called, when we felt God calling us. And the second song was, Christ is enough for me, I have decided to follow Jesus. So we sang half of that song just now earlier on, right? And what really just struck was, you know, God, it felt like just God was just telling us, I have called you, right, I'll be enough for you, and all you need to do is to follow me and not turn back. Right, so it just felt like God was giving us that assurance and the encouragement just at the right time that we needed it. And um, after that, the, song, the sound system went down and then they were playing some songs that we couldn't really recognise. And we really liked the cafe, so we went back the next day. But then they were playing Korean songs. So we were no clue what song it was. So it, you know, God was just so good just at the moment when we, we needed that kind of uh, assurance and encouragement. He was just there for us. Yeah, you know, and he really provides for what we need, when we need, and even more than what we need, right? Um, as, uh, you know, as, as I was just talking about the 12 baskets, how, you know, God used the five loaves and the two fishes to, to feed 5,000 with 12 basket left, baskets left over. And, you know, incidentally, the miracle of feeding 5,000 just happened before Jesus walked on the water and Peter then stepped out of the boat in faith. So it just felt like, you know, we were coming full circle and God was just bringing everything together for us, yeah. yeah so that's our story. I think we're still very much on this journey and uh, we appreciate, of course, your prayers. Um, but I think, you know, what we really believe is that when we're willing to give up what is precious to us and to follow God, I think God will reward us and bless us so much more in return. And in fact, in the past few days, this week, I think the thing that God has been speaking to us over and over again is also about how are we willing to give more, right? Um, that in the bluntness that God has given us, can we give generously you know, sell our possessions, give to the poor, um, and, and be blessed so much more in return. Right? So, 
Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Um, to are we, are we just to add like you know immense eyes, you know, people are come and ask us like, oh, how are you going to fund what you're going to finish? Will you have money? Will you have people to support you? Right? But then I we feel like God is telling us to give more, like to to give even to 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 see how we can even yeah, sell and give more. And which seems very counter to what uh, man's logic is. Right, but we really feel that you know, as we trust God and we give, that He will provide for our needs and He will even uh, give us much more than we even ask or think. Yeah, thank, thank you, you and thank you. God bless. All right, thanks, uh, Winston and Sherman. I. I hope you are encouraged um, by that. I, I do think it's it's quite a quite a cool story, and and we really see how you know, when God God calls us to give up something, He He leads us, He is with us, and He's guiding us. And and you know, right now I just want to say like some of you might be thinking, you know, why. You might think, okay, this this is quite crazy. Like the the story of the rich young man, he Jesus asked him to give up everything he had, and that that's quite crazy. Like, that's not something that, you know, what if he asked me to give up everything, or what if he asked me to go to the mission field? Now he doesn't call everyone to go to the mission field, but what what if he does? Or maybe you might be feeling, hey, God, like why are you such a party pooper? Like why why can't I have my cake and eat it as well? Um, why, why can't I, I keep these things and still still follow you? And and I think that brings me to my next two points. Um, and the reason is simple, actually. I mean, Jesus is better than anything we give up for Him. Okay, put aside the fact for now that Jesus is God of the universe, that that He deserves actually everything because everything comes from Him. He's the Creator. Everything comes from. But let's just put that aside for, for now. And let's think about this. Jesus is far better than anything that we give up for Him. You see, in the material world, in this world that we live in, we spoke of trade-offs just now, right? There are trade-offs because there's a limit to the amount of resources that we have. Okay? If you studied economics, you would know that the central problem that economists face is scarcity, which means there's a finite number of resources whether it's land, whether it's money, whether it's whatever, uh, time, and we have to make choices as to how, wh what we use it for. So that is the reason why you cannot buy the new handphone and the new sneakers at the same time because you have only so much money. Understand? Makes sense, right? We can't have both. And that is central throughout anything that, that, we, that we do in life. No matter how rich you are, uh, no matter how talented you are, you will always reach this problem. But that is not how the kingdom of God is. Because in the, king, in the Father's house, there are, many, there are many rooms, and there are infinite resources. There is no scarcity, at least as we understand it. And that is exactly the point. You see, when Jesus asks us to choose Him, we are not choosing between a handphone and sneakers. We are not choosing between, hey, being, uh, getting a better handphone that allows me to play games better, or getting sneakers that makes me look at million dollars. There is actually no trade-off. 
because we are being asked to choose between His kingdom, which is infinite, which is splendid, which has nothing better, and something in all ways, in every way possible, inferior to it. It's a no-brainer. It, it, it is the best deal that you could get. And, and I think one of my favorite quotes, I might have shared this before, is from C.S. Lewis, and it is, to me, the most eloquent expression of this idea that I've ever seen. And he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition and infinite joy, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You know, one thing I gather from Winston and Sherman's sharing is that, that God is good and that He is in control. He, yes, He calls them to give up their jobs, He calls them to give up the scholarships, but He is there to journey with them. He is real. He guides them. He speaks to them daily. I remember they told me that once they made the decision, they had a breakthrough in their relationship with God that they had never seen before. They were in every day, their daily devotions with Him took on a whole new dimension. And because He knows what they're giving up for His sake, He is there with them. And God says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I believe that many of us here today are looking for that hope and a future. Whether you are a perennial winner, like the rich young man, or whether you are like, you know, life's not been going so well for you, 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 you know that there's something more to all of this. Yes, you might have to give up some things for it, but it's for something that is so much better. And I know this because there were times when I strayed away from God. And every time I strayed away from God, or, or, or that one time when I really strayed away from God, the thing that I realized was that no matter how much success I was getting out in the world, no matter how much I was doing, well, how well I was doing in exams or whatnot, my life was just more chaotic and more empty than when I was close to God. And that is because there is something in our lives, in our hearts, that only God can fulfill. And you cannot replace that with anything else. And, and this is why the disciples gave up everything they had to follow Jesus, you know. Peter said in verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. And, this, and, and that is why Jesus responds, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, mothers, sisters, children and fields, along with persecutions in the age to come, in eternal life. Because Jesus was not instituting a new promise here or a new rule. This was something that has been a fact since the beginning of time. That when you leave behind the rags that are of this world, that... The, the, the limited things of this world and you chase after God and you trade it for God and you trade it for the things of God, you get a good deal. It is a no-brainer. He's not a party pooper. 
He wants this because He's a loving Father. And this is really what you are looking for. You give up the broken cisterns, the broken wells, for something that is deeper. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. A merchant who is looking out for the best pearl. And when he discovered the pearl of great value, he sold everything else he owned and he bought it. And Jesus is calling us to make that trade. It is the perfect trade. To bring all our idols, to bring all that, that we have and lay it at the altar before him. But you see, here's the clincher. You know, you think that this is enough, but, but God knows that it's still not easy, you know. You see, God wants all of us. He's the God of the universe. That's what He deserves. He, he knows that, that he, when He created man, when He died on the cross, when, on all this, He knows that what His standards are, that He wants your wholehearted devotion. But He also knows our struggles. He knows that even though intellectually you might know that Jesus is the best thing that you can have, that God is the best thing that you can have, you can have accepted Christ, and yet on a daily basis, we struggle. You know, when you, you, can, you can say, I'm going to give up a scholarship for you, but when it comes to pushing that button, that's a different story. And so he didn't leave it at that. He, he's not just saying, hey, I'm going to give you like a big house and it's only going to be a dollar it's, and it's a no-brainer deal. He's giving you that house right now and making a way and saying, you pay me later. Because he, when, when, he, when he did this, he, he, through his grace, he enabled us to be able to reach out to Him. He created a way. You see, when, if we're truly required to meet God's standard before we inherit eternal life, like what this rich young man was supposed to do, then nobody would be able to do that. You know, if we're supposed to come with a heart that is free of all idolatry, that is free of anything in this world, and, and, and lay that all aside, for the sake of Jesus, before we can get into a relationship with the creator of the universe. No one will enter into that relationship. You know? It, this phrase that Jesus utters, you know, go sell everything you have and then come and follow me, it's not a phrase that might be very different from, or that might be out of place in other belief systems that we see in this world. Before I became a Christian, I was a Hindu. And you know, in Hinduism, there, there's a concept that is similar to, I guess, what the Buddhists called nirvana. And, and, and that concept is that, you know, you reach a state of mind where you are liberated, your soul is liberated, and you have the highest state of peace and happiness. And how you reach that is you sort of see the entire world as, as an illusion, as, as something that doesn't matter. And when you reach that state of mind, then you, you, you will reach that happiness and, 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 and that, that you want. But who can really achieve this through their own strength? We come back to that question that Jesus asked at the start. Who is good but God alone? No one, no one can achieve this. And so, what God did is that He created a way for us to enter into that relationship with Him before we, we can reach that sort of perfect state. You know? He... Because if a model Jew, like the rich young man, couldn't do it, who, uh, that's why the, 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 the disciple says, who else 
who, who can be saved? And what does Jesus say? He says, with man it's not possible, what, with, but with God it is. And so, in most belief systems, what you are expected to do, and, and to me this is actually the fundamental difference between what a Christian believes in and, 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 and what else is that. I, I'm not sure, maybe there's some religion out there which, but as far as I know, there's a, in most belief systems, you start with a sinful man. You journey on your own strength, and then you try and achieve some sort of perfection and salvation. But it's only in Christianity that you invert that around. That you start as a sinful man, and somewhere along the way, God comes to you, and He says, here's my grace. I died, because 2,000 years ago, you know, we have all sinners. Jesus died on a cross for us to pay the price for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. The consequence of sin is death. But he satisfied the just requirements of, 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 the, of that standard, of that standard, of, of not having idolatry, of that standard. And he paid the price. And because of the price, with, with man, that thing is not possible. But with God, it is possible. Because of that price, we are now able to enter into a relationship with Jesus. We are able to tap on that grace that power, uh, that, that rose Christ from the grave. And with that, can we then press on and cast aside whatever idols that we have, whatever is hindering us and holding it back. I want you to understand the, the importance of this because it is not by our own strength, it is not by our own might that we say, I'm going to give this up for Jesus. Jesus even provides us the way to to overcome these things that we struggle with, to overcome and, and to, to pursue Him with all our heart. Do you understand that idea of really just how much and how gracious our God is? Because that is, that is the key here that I want to I wanna talk about and I, I want to leave with us. And right now, I just want to call, um, ask the musicians to come onto stage. And maybe we could just all sort of bow our heads and just reflect on what has been shared today. Reflect on, on what, um, what has been spoken from God's Word. And I believe that God has a call for each and every one of us here, whether you are a believer or you're not. And first, for those who have yet to receive Jesus, perhaps something here today spoke to you and you felt a stirring within you. And Jesus is calling and asking, would you come and follow me? No matter what background you come from, Jesus is asking, would you trade the broken wells that the world offers for the springs of living water that I offer? To trade building mud castles for the infinite riches of His grace? Would you put me in that rightful place in your heart? And would you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Because if you do, that is really the best decision that you could make. You, it is a deal that beats all other deals. It is a trade that 
that that is a no-brainer. And so right now, if there's anyone here who has yet to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and wants to do so, I invite you just to raise your hand. anyone okay for the rest I just want to want you to enter into a time of communion with God and just ask him right now if there's anything in your life that you maybe have put ahead of him and ask him to search your heart is he really the foremost in your life And I just want to open up the altar and, and, you know, if God is stirring something in you, maybe it's something that you have struggled with for a while, that He has been speaking to you about, but you just can't let it go. Maybe it's something that you actually feel guilty about. But let me let you know that there is no condemnation. God understands and He has created a way, and that way is open to us here today. And I want to open up the altar for those who God is prompting something in your heart, and you want to receive His grace and His power. If you want to receive a touch of the Holy Spirit to help you with this, I invite you to just take a step and come to the front. we can all stand up right now and we'll respond we'll probably sing a song to respond Jesus, everything I count as 
To, to really come before God and ask the Holy, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. You know, um, when Jesus told the man, if you look at the text, right, when he told the man to sell everything he has, you know, before that, before he, he gave that call, the, the Bible says that Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. And so, you know, God is not like this hard taskmaster saying like, like give, me, give me everything you have, you know. He, he, say, he looked at him and he loved him the reason why the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and then Jesus said, sell everything you have, is because Jesus knows that to choose the way of the Lord is far better. It's far better than to hold on to your riches. And, and out of love, Jesus says, sell everything you have. It's not that Jesus is saying like, haha, I want to, you know, make your life like really difficult or whatever. It's out of love that Jesus says, sell everything you have and choose the better way. Choose the better way. I want to encourage you that if there is something you're holding on to, you know that there is something in your life that perhaps you have put above Him or, or perhaps you're just like in general, you know, struggling to make Jesus the, the, the exceedingly great reward and the, top, and the top priority in your life. I want to tell you that whatever you give up, whatever you think you're giving up, God will not shortchange you. He will give you far more. And I don't mean He will give you far more like money or whatever. No, but when you choose the way of the Lord, it is far better, far better than the way of the world. And, and I want to uh, repeat the call that Jan Han has issued, that if that is you, you feel that there is something you need to lay at the altar, something that you need to, to, to say, yeah, God, I surrender, I surrender my life to you. I want to encourage you to come up to the altar. And you know, the altar calls are not for, not for feels, you know, they're not for hype or anything. It is your signal to God to say, God, I lay this at your altar. There's a commitment that you make to God. And worship team, I release you. If you want to come and respond as well, you know, it, it's fine. We don't really need the music. But I want to encourage you. And young people, I want to tell you that if at this point you are willing to surrender to God, He will take your life and do so much more with it. And if at this point you are not willing to give up things for God, it will be so much harder when you get all the success and, and everything else in the world. And so I want to encourage you to, to think about it and respond to God and can continue singing. I have decided. 
This alabaster jar is all I have of what I break it at your feet, oh Lord. It's less than you deserve, but far more beautiful, more precious than the oil. The sum of my desires and the fullness of my joy. This alabaster jar. All I have of worth, I break it at your feet, oh Lord. It's less than you deserve. You're far more beautiful, more precious than the oil. The sum of my desires and the fullness of my joy. Like you spilled your blood, I spill my.
me just close in prayer. But we're going to leave the altar area open. And you know, I want to encourage you that if, if God is speaking to you, that you don't rush it and, and just, just take your time to encounter Him, allow Him to speak to you. And, and whatever it is that, you know, sometimes when we want to surrender to God, it's, it's a struggle. It's hard. And I think God knows it. He sees it. And just like Jesus looked at the man and loved him, God looks at you and he loves you. He knows exactly what you're going through. But he's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, we say that you are our exceedingly great reward. Jesus, you are the treasure. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of whatever it is that we have to sacrifice or, or give up or lay aside. So God, would you give us that strength to lay our lives before you and surrender and say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way in us. God, we commit our lives to you. We say that our life is not our own. That Jesus, you gave it all for us. And so we will lay our lives before you. But give us the strength, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're not going to pray, I just ask that you be quiet. And if you want to talk, you can leave the hall. But let's just leave this area open for a little while more. For people who want to pray and talk to God.